You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, January 13, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and was that some kind of Tuesday night of college basketball? Was that some kind of Tuesday night of college basketball? Duke lost at Virginia Tech. Kentucky got smashed by Alabama. Kansas fell at Oklahoma State. So that's three blue blood programs with Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coaches lost as favorites. We're going to get to that a little later on, but I think we have to start with the Michigan Wolverines. Juwan Howard's team entered Tuesday night showdown with Wisconsin. 10-0 record. They'd beaten Minnesota, beaten Maryland, Penn State, UCF, but the Wolverines still didn't have a big signature win, so they were a little off of the national radar. Regardless, we did spend some time on Friday's podcast talking about them. The conversation started with me asking Deadleg who he'd take as the Big Ten champ, and then it unfolded like this. You can change your mind at a later date. I don't care. But at this moment, if you had to pick a Big Ten champ, who would you pick? I'm still going to stick with Illinois. It was my pick in the preseason. As we sit here and talk on Friday, GP, right now, Michigan is the only undefeated team in the league to refresh listeners' memories. It's 5-0. and Illinois is at 5-1. and Iowa and Wisco are both at 4-1. and And then there's a line of separation. Minnesota's taken on. It's lumps is late. You've got Minnesota, Rutgers, and Northwestern all at 3-3. Three and three. And then get this. Ohio State, Iowa. IU, Purdue, Michigan State, as we record this podcast, all of those teams have three losses to just two wins, uh, but I am going to take Illinois. I presume you'll stick with Iowa. I think I would take Michigan. I've watched them okay. like multiple times over the past week or two. They're awesome. Like they are, they are operating at a high level, top 10 offense, top 20 defense. Um, Hunter Dickinson is outrageous they seem to play with a real purpose. Like they don't get caught up in the score. Like they they're playing every possession, which is what every coach preaches, but it's not what every coach gets. But like Juwan's got this team operating at a really, really high level. Now, you know, they haven't beaten one of the fellow big boys in the big 10 yet. They'll have that opportunity. I think next Tuesday they get Wisconsin, but that team looks that. How about this? I've watched all these teams, play multiple times you you can take a you know like obviously if all you did was watch the second half of illinois northwestern you'd go well that's the best team in the big 10 and the best team in the country like i don't want to cherry pick these moments i will say this to my eyeballs michigan looks the most consistently great if that makes sense like i when i watched i don't they don't have – I haven't seen them lately have a first half like Illinois' first half against Northwestern. They they look consistently great every time I've watched them over the past couple of years. What? Final score on Tuesday night. Michigan 77, Wisconsin 54. And the fact that it came two nights after Illinois lost at Maryland makes it extra funny. Michigan now 11-0. I moved the Wolverines all the way up to number three in the top 25-1 and one behind only undefeated Gonzaga and undefeated Baylor. Norlander, are you ready, finally, to properly respect 
undefeated Michigan, or are you still in love with four-loss Illinois? Oh, boy. I got one more for you real quick here. Here's what I said. Wisconsin is the team that is the most reliable. Oh, oh, reliable Wisconsin (laughs) with losses to unranked Marquette and unranked Maryland? I was real wrong about that. In fact, so wrong, I was... Wrong, 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 wrong. I got to eat it. I got to eat it. We're not going to turn this into movie quote podcast, are we? No, I'm going to try. I'm going to turn it into funny drop podcast. That's not a movie, by the way. That's that's not a movie. That's Scrubs. Doctor Cox, pay some respects. You were right. I was same, wrong. Same, same thing. Definitely not. Eleven. And oh, 0. I thought. I thought. By the way, real quick. I yes. thought. By the way, about the the movie quote that dr- bothers me the most. The one that consistently gets used that bothers me the most. Okay. That I wish nobody would ever say it again. Mm. So you're telling me there's a chance? I hate it. I hate it when people do that. <laughs> okay. By the uh, way, I, you 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 regularly dropped that's what she said circa 2011 to 2018 minimally. So you yeah, got to take funny. some of this too. Yeah, but that's my that's okay, that's It's favorite. not yours. That's, Don't say that's, that's mine. That's not yours. No, 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 I invented that's what she said. Yeah. No, no shot. <laughs> so if you're going to have an issue with it, okay, I'm going to bring okay, this up. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I make I, I make an exception for that's what she said. There we are. Exactly. Okay. Well, there we go. So First of all, I told you Maryland would be in a tight one against Illinois. They won it. Didn't think that was going to happen. I'm going to bail on this, by the way. I'm with you. Michigan did everything we needed to do at this point. I mean, the the final score was 77-54. It was, it was a much worse game than that, obviously. Got to 69-29 at one point. It was like an absurd like 46-3 run. What are we doing? Credit to Jawan Howard. We talked about Michigan... I don't know, Parrish three weeks ago. And when we talked about him at that point, they were 6-0 or 7-0, and I pointed out that it's been off to a good start. Last season, they got off to a good start, but actually finished 500 in Big Ten play. You know, they were 19-12 and 12 teams. So they started strong, but kind of came back to the pack a little bit and would have been in the tournament, but it wasn't, you know, this outrageously successful first season. It was just simply a good season, acceptable first season. And now, as we stand here and talk about the Wolverines, I mean, Michigan fans have to be elated at the state of their program a season and a half removed from John Beeline shockingly leaving the school uh, in May after a season was done to take the Cavs job. I mean, no one saw it coming. He did that. Now, Jawan Howard's got the program in, in great hands. Number six on offense in efficiency, uh, offensive efficiency at Ken Palm, 11th in defensive efficiency, and is the number one two-point defense in college hoops as we record this podcast. Teams are only making 38.3% of their shots inside the arc. What's helping matters even more is Michigan does not foul a lot. The teams just don't get to the line against them. That was a signature big-time win against Wisconsin, helped by the fact that the college football season's now over. We don't really have the NFL playoffs for a few more days. So this is, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, kind of college basketball's time to kind of get some results that'll kind of spark a little bit more national interest and conversation. And Michigan, in doing this, definitively entered that conversation, not on the same level as Gonzaga or Baylor, but if you want to go there, Parrish, by all means, you would you can go there. I would not yet. But obviously with Texas and a Villanova to create something of a, of a top five at this point. They... Um... At worst, and this is the way I described them in the updated top 25 and one on Wednesday morning. At worst, they are the best undefeated team, not named Gonzaga or Baylor. And at best, they they do belong in that conversation. Like they were picked six in the preseason Big Ten poll. They were 25th in the preseason AP poll. And so they had to they had to climb a little bit, whereas Gonzaga and Baylor started one and two. But 
you know, I'm not ready to to say that this is a three team top of the sport yet, but I'm close. I mean, they beat UCF by 22, beat Toledo by 20, beat Maryland by 11, beat Northwestern by 19, beat Minnesota by 25, beat Wisconsin by 23. They won at Pinnacle Bank by 11. They've got six double-digit victories over schools in the top 75 of the net right now. They are 2-0 and in Quadrant 1, 5-0 and in Quadrant 2, 3-0 and in Quadrant 3, 1-0 and in Quadrant 4. Like, they haven't just – they're not just undefeated. They are undefeated similar to the way Gonzaga and Baylor is. They just beat the crap out of basically everybody they played. Uh, for sure. And the Wisconsin win was by far the best. Uh, it's coming off their second best win, uh, which is Minnesota. Both those are home wins. The Wolverines have only played two road games to this point, as you mentioned, at Pinnacle and then at Maryland. And those aren't utterly outstanding. But Maryland is coming off a huge win against Illinois. And it's it's enough for me at this point. Now, I think Michigan might have something of a, of a tricky proposition on Saturday, but we'll save that for the Friday pod when it has to play at Minnesota, second time in three games. We'll see how that goes for them. But at this point, there's just no denying it. And what they were able to do on Tuesday night was so overwhelmingly good. I mean, Wisconsin was at, uh, you know, 0.83 points per possession. Michigan was cruising at 1.18 and, you know, had a few more buckets dropped late. It were, they were really above 1.2 points per possession, which if you... If you're at 1.2, you are just playing beautifully. Uh, and that's kind of the goal for any kind of team is, is if you can be scoring well above one. Uh, and they were they were they were at that. And so between Isaiah Livers, Franz Wagner, Hunter Dickinson, Mike Smith, the team's best three point shooter, and then Eli Brooks is a wonderful defender. Shondi Brown off the bench. That's a great one through six. Um, yeah, and at this point, they're the best team in the Big Ten. Will that stay the case? I'm still I'm. I'm with you in that I've changed my mind. Um, Wisconsin's no longer the most reliable team, Parish, But I still think the league is good enough. You know, Michigan's going to take losses. We know that. And Iowa's still, you know, Iowa's 11-2 and and 5-1 and one in the league. It's right behind them. So, so we shall see. But this is uh, huge news for the Wolverines. It must be nice for Michigan fans to know that their basketball team is way, way more dependable than their football team. And it's kind of been that way for over a decade between Beeline and Howard, and we're just seeing more of it now this season. Um, in that clip that we played, one of the things I said is that when I watched them, they seemed to play every possession, like you know, regardless of the score, which is something every coach tries to stress, but not every coach you know, consistently gets. We see it all the time. Team goes up by 17 points. They take the foot off the pedal just a little bit. Next thing you know, they're in an eight-point game. Michigan just seems to keep speeding nonstop You're diving on the floor in a 17 point game uh you know guarding like crazy in a 25 point game and it was interesting Jawan Howard actually made note of this in the post game last night he said quote it says a lot about their maturity understanding that every possession counts and matters um, Wisconsin's team is a team capable of going runs and basketball is based on runs blah 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 but the point he made is that you know, his players do play with every possession. They play every possession regardless of the score. And, you know, as somebody who watches college basketball every day, that is not something that you see from every team. But it is something I noticed. And then it was something I, I thought it was interesting that Juwan Howard made a point to point it out after that convincing victory over Wisconsin. 
The schedule upcoming for Michigan is at Minnesota, home to Maryland, at Purdue, home to Indiana, and at Northwestern, if those five games can be played as scheduled. Obviously all winnable. The next time Michigan is scheduled to play, you know, one of the elites in the league, isn't until February 11th when it's got a home game against Illinois. The rematch against Wisconsin, if it can be played as scheduled, will happen on Valentine's Day, and we'll wait and see. The back end seems to be tougher for sure, just in terms of uh, level of opponent. And uh, it seems to be just one more road game than home game on the backstretch versus what they're upcoming here in the next five or six games. But this would be a one seed if we started the tournament uh, tonight or tomorrow. And that's, you know, they're ahead of the pace. And it's not just Dickinson. He's been the best player, there's no doubt. But they are very well-rounded, can shoot well, play play defense extremely well. And Jerron Howard's got it going, man. This is uh, this is not something that anyone saw coming. It had it, You know, sometimes we can lose perspective when we get into the season, we get the results, and we should change what we think about these teams, of course. But heading into the season, it was seen as Iowa 1, Illinois 2, really, um, Wisconsin 3, and then from there, you know, was it going to be Ohio State? Was it going to be Indiana? Was it going to be maybe Michigan in there as well and Rutgers? You know, Michigan well, I can, State. I can, I can tell you the official preseason Big Ten poll was 1 Illinois, 2 Iowa, 3 Wisconsin, Four Michigan State, five Rutgers, then six Michigan. Uh, that's what the okay. That's what the uh. All right, six is yeah. That's what the voters, the voters, the media members did because there actually is no official preseason Big Ten poll. That's what's done by Jardy and Brendan Quinn because for whatever reason it's lame. But the Big Ten's the only league that doesn't do that, which is stupid. But whatever. So thankfully that the writers do a straw poll essentially and, and tell you what people think. I would have guessed lower. I would have guessed seven, but six. But still, GP six to one. At this point, no reason not to believe in this team. I've seen enough, particularly since we last spoke on that on that pod with this game. That was one of the most dominant performances I've seen of the season. It was a vintage example of the final margin was 23. It was not a 23-point game. Michigan won that game by 30-plus points, and uh, it continues to roll. And, yeah, so now it's the biggest story in the sport here on Wednesday. Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas, three Blue Bloods, all lost on Tuesday night. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas, three Blue Bloods all lost on Tuesday night. Kansas lost a close one at Oklahoma State. Kentucky lost by 20 inside Rupp Arena to Alabama. And Duke lost 74-67 at Virginia Tech, which resulted in me dropping the Blue Devils out of the top 25 and one. So let's start there. Norlander, do you agree with my decision to remove Duke from the top 25 and one? 
Yeah, I agreed with doing this weeks ago, but if you wanted to wait for one more loss, that's fine. Uh, didn't think Duke was going to win this. It didn't. It never really, in my opinion, was threatening to win this game. I watched it from start to finish, and Virginia Tech's a better team than Duke this season. That was evident there. Duke did get back um, Jalen Johnson, but he only played four minutes. The problem is Wendell Moore has not been what I think Duke was hoping he would be in his sophomore season. It's just not there. Matthew Hurt continues to play well. I believe he won ACC Player of the Week last week, um, and he had another solid night. Jeremy Roach played arguably the best game of his college career. He had 22 points, and DJ Stewart was fairly solid, but Virginia Tech's just better, had the home court advantage, and you should have dropped Duke out. And I want to credit Brian Ives, who I believe is an ESPN researcher. He sent this tweet out. How about this? So Duke is probably going to drop out next week. Its next game is at Pitt this weekend. Even if it wins that, I'm not convinced Duke's going to remain in the rankings, but it's Duke. Anything's possible. But if it does not, and North Carolina doesn't crack into the rankings, which I don't think that it will, trivia time! Mm -hmm. Did you see the the stat or no? I did not. Okay. Just guess the year. What year do you think it was the last time there was a week in which both Duke and Carolina were not ranked? Both of them were out. 1662, same year the dodo bird. Same year the dodo bird became extinct. It was the last known sighting of a dodo bird was 1660s. I'm thinking it was probably around right around then. Let's uh, let's advance that a few hundred years and give me a real guess. Okay, I'm gonna guess. What's the question again? I stopped listening and started focusing on dodo birds. By the way, people rightfully pointed out I was probably thinking about the carrier pigeon when extinct. You know, about 1916 or so. So I'm gonna take that as a as a hedge. Um. The last time college basketball had an AP poll that had both Carolina and Duke not in it for X amount of years, at least one of them, and in often years, and often weeks, both of them have been. When's the last time we had an AP poll with neither Duke or Carolina in it? What year? What year? Uh, I'm going to say the year that Kay had to step away and they missed the NCAA tournament, whatever year that was. I mean, that's when Jerry Stackhouse is dominating. No, how about this? This this did surprise me. It was longer than I thought. If you had asked me to guess, I would have said, I don't know what I would have said. If you asked me to guess, actually, I might have said what you said. But if not, I'd have been like, I don't know, eighty-seven. Nope. December twenty-seventh, nineteen eighty-two was the last time an AP poll did not have at least one of Duke or North Carolina. That's seven hundred and two consecutive polls with at least one of the two. That streak seems destined to end next week. Tell me the last time we had one without Duke, Carolina, Michigan State, or Kentucky. I don't have that readily available. Um, that probably was 1600. That was probably 1662. I think you're right about that. That might actually be the answer to that question. Uh, Duke is now 5-3. and three. They're down to 96th in the net. They're 0-2 in Quadrant 1 and 0-2 in Quadrant th- 2. And they have a quad three loss. The Michigan State loss is a quad three loss right now, which is wow. amazing. How about eight weeks into the season, Duke doesn't have a quad one win or a quad two win. That's wild. Yeah, and so I, I did this whole fun little thing on Monday where I kind of looked at what the NCAA tournament schedule might look like, maybe just kind of took a guess at it. And so when I did that, I used – Palm's latest bracketology forecast, which published last Friday. So it was as if, if the season ended Friday morning, this is what his guess at what the tournament field would look like. And so the two teams, as I was putting it out, I, I put out these matchups sort of be like, okay, this game would be at one o'clock on true TV or whatever. And as I did that, I couldn't help but notice, I was like, wow, 
He does not have Duke, and that's not a surprise. Kentucky, that's not a surprise. And Virginia wasn't even in the field. And I was like, is this actually going to wind up how it's, how it's being? So you're right in terms of its lack of high-level wins. And, you know, I'm just not – I said it on CBS Sports HQ Wednesday morning. I'm just not convinced that Duke is going to the NCAA tournament. It's 5-3, and three, has lost to the three best teams it's played. It's got two road games ahead if they can be played as scheduled at Pitt and then next and then on Saturday against Louisville. But there's so much work to be done. The resume is just not there yet. And it's got it's got some some it's going to be interesting, Parrish. Uh, Kentucky's not going, we'll get to them in a minute, but I'm just not seeing anything to suggest that Duke is heading there yet. Things can turn around, sure, but Jalen Johnson hasn't been what he was hoped to be to this point, and Wendell Moore's got to be a lot better. We could really have an NCAA tournament without Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State. And, that's three, and yeah, yeah, that's three. That's three Hall of Fame coaches. And then if you want to throw more Hall of Fame coaches in there, Syracuse, Jim Beheim, Iona, Rick Pitino. I mean, you could have a bunch of active Hall of Fame coaches missing the NCAA tournament this season. It is. It's what you know. You Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State are three of the most reliable to use your word, mm. <laughs> reliable programs in America. The idea that they would all be bad in the same year is is a massive storyline in the sport. And I think it's, if I were, you know, labeling them all, I would say Michigan State is at real risk of missing the NCAA tournament, but I could also see them tur- turning things around. Uh, how about this? Mm-hmm. Who do you... If you could only identify one of those schools will make the NCAA tournament, who would you feel safest picking? I think I would go Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky in that order, but I can imagine a scenario where all three miss. Let me throw in North Carolina, too. It's 8-4, and four, doesn't have a win over a top 35 Ken Palm team yet. Now, it won against Syracuse at home on Tuesday as well, but I think you want to talk about Hall of Fame coaches. UNC is yeah. not totally safe either, and so if I can cheat, I would take UNC. Uh, but if you want to go with the original three that you put, I would lean Michigan State. I would lean Michigan. I would go UNC, then Michigan State, then Duke. Then Kentucky's only getting there if they win the auto bid. Uh, they they blew it on on Tuesday night. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Michigan State's in the toughest league too. But I can see them turning it around. Uh, I, and I do trust that roster. Generally speaking, I think I like Michigan State's roster the best of those four teams. But UNC's got a wonderful front court as well. So, but they're they're still there. I mean, they got a road game against Leonard Hamilton, Florida State, scheduled for Saturday. I mean, if UNC loses that one, they're going to be in the same spot, and they could easily lose that game. So, just keep that in mind too. Like Michigan State has at least, you know, beaten Duke and you know pounded Rutgers. Although Rutgers is going the wrong direction, like I think Michigan State can beat good teams. I, I haven't seen Kentucky beat a good team, and I haven't seen Duke beat a good team. So I, I, I. Again, I think they're all at risk of missing the tournament, but I feel safest trusting Michigan State to get there. I'm real unsure about Duke, and I'm with you. I don't think Kentucky can get there. And let, let's move on to them. They were on a little three-game winning streak that got people um, excited to some degree. Like I was on Tom Leach's radio show yesterday morning. He's the voice of the Wildcats, and he was like, so what What do you make of Kentucky's three-game losing streak? I'm like, well, it's a bit, it's, uh, it's it's an improvement, you know, it's better than the six game losing streak, but I did point out the wins were over a whatever Mississippi state team, a bad Vanderbilt team and a Florida team that is missing its best player, Keontae Johnson. Like, so what, once you've lost six in a row at a place like Kentucky, you just want wins. You'll take them wherever you can get them. 
you don't apologize for them. But I wasn't convinced that Kentucky had actually turned something around, although I did think playing Dante Allen, Terrence Clark's minutes seemed to be a, a positive. And then they just get run completely off their own floor um, on Tuesday night by an Alabama team that, you know, also beat Tennessee, but like also has lost to Western Kentucky. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not convinced Alabama is great, although Alabama is clearly good. Uh, beat Kentucky by 20. They were 14 of 30 from three. And here's the thing. Alabama lost two starters to injury in the middle of the game. Yeah. And it just didn't matter. Like just like the Alabama football team lost the Heisman Trophy winner in the middle of the game, and it just did not matter Monday night against Ohio State. Alabama loses um, its Heisman Trophy winner Monday night. Doesn't matter. Then Alabama loses two starters on Tuesday night against Kentucky. Just did not matter. And I know that, listen, Alabama was super impressive, but I still think the story is Kentucky because if you trick yourself into thinking maybe they figured something out, um, you were brought back down pretty quickly last night. They were handled in that game very, very easily. They're just not that. They're just not good. Yep. That's, I mean, it's, that's as simple as you can say it. They're just yep. not good. This was the test. I agree. Great win for Bama. It's atop the SEC standings. Although, are, are you aware of the only other undefeated team in the SEC right now? <laughs> Technically, South Carolina is one and zero. It's played yeah. five games this season. Alabama's 5-0, and and uh, it's out ahead of Tennessee, LSU, UK, and Mississippi State, which all have one loss and have played four games total there. But um, So good win for Alabama. They hadn't won at Rupp Arena since 2006, and at 10-3, and uh, seems to be heading toward the NCAA tournament, and getting that win by that margin was was important for, I think, the program, and, and losing, you know, Herb Jones, uh, notably, you know, Leaving mid-game, I thought was uh, keep an eye on that. He's a very important. He's like a top ten defender in the college basketball. So keep an eye. But yes, Kentucky losing is the story here because twenty point loss is the biggest margin to defeat. We've had two Hall of Famers this season within a matter of two weeks now take their biggest home court loss in, in ever at their schools. Bill Self when uh, he got rocked by by Texas. And then, obviously, what we had happen on Tuesday night with Kentucky losing by 20 against Alabama and Nate Oates. And same, I I said on HQ on Tuesday night, same impression, GP. They squeaked out a double OT win with an aberrational performance from Dante Allen against Mississippi State. They got the win fine. Then it was a close shave, way closer than it needed to be at home against a bad Vandy team. And then they were able to, I'm going to credit them in full. They didn't have Keontae Johnson, Florida didn't, but... Uh, still, you win by 18 on the road. That was a, a sign to give you know, Kentucky fans some real optimism. But this was the test here, and you lost by 20. And at this point, in my opinion, Kentucky's got room for one more regular season loss if it wants any hope of an at-large consideration. That's just not going to happen. Kentucky, This team is not losing only one more game. It's not going to happen. It's losing at least two, and then I just don't think it's going to have the wiggle room. It's got to hope that there is an SEC tournament that is scheduled and played and that it can win the auto bid that way. Its next games are at Georgia. A week from tonight, uh, but before that, scheduled to play at Auburn on Saturday there. And yeah, it's four and seven, and you know it's just it's just one of those seasons there. So um, it's it was an important game. Bama won it. Kentucky lost first win in fifteen years for that program in that building. So good on Nate Oates and his guys. And now Kentucky's just got to try and keep itself motivated. And um, you actually sent me <laughs> a screen grab. I wasn't. You were dialed into the John Calipari postgame Periscope session, so uh, and apparently Kentucky fans weren't having any of it. I think they're fed up, and I mean, I get that. I get that, but um, season's not done. We'll see what they can salvage from it, I guess. 
I did want to watch the post game just to see how John handled the questions and talked about the obvious issues because he has been getting asked questions that, you know, are, are critical, not for the first time in his career at Kentucky, but for one of the few times in his career at Kentucky, because there's been almost no other times to be reasonably critical. He's been rocking and rolling at a high level consistently for more than a decade now. And he handled everything fine. Um, a bit of a somber tone when he had to talk about Ben Jordan, the former Kentucky baseball player and basketball player um, who it was announced yesterday died at the age of 22. So like it was a rough day for that program. I mean, that young man was in that a part of that program just last season. And so John talked about that a little bit, but there was one moment that I thought was interesting. He was asked, it was it was one of those questions that is a it's 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 a criticism disguised as a question. He was asked like you know you like Alabama made almost as many three pointers as your team you know took and you know wanted he was asked to expand on that and he was like well how many did we make and it was like four he's like yeah four we made four and he didn't he didn't go any further than that really but like the point was what do you want us to do keep shooting we can't make them like you know mm-hmm. i i could i could have my team shoot 30 we we would go 7 of 30 you know so so what do you want me to do and uh, you know obviously that's a recruiting problem you, i i heard him say a million times before like if you want to um have good good shooting team re- recruit good shooters like he just got caught in a place where he doesn't have enough shooting um but it was almost like a style of play criticism. Like, why can't you play the fun style that Alabama plays and shoot all these threes and make them? So it's just like, that's where we are with the Kentucky program right now. And I thought the other thing that was discouraging if you're a Kentucky fan is that the way they lost this Alabama game is the way they've lost all season. There was nothing out of the ordinary with it. What are the issues we've been talking about since very early in the season? Can't shoot the ball, can't take care of the ball. They turn it over and they miss shots. So what they do last night, four of 18 from three, can't make a shot. And there are 19 turnovers, seven assists, just giving the ball away. I mean, it's the same problems that, that have existed basically since the start of this season. And though Dante Allen has been a difference maker and he was two of five from three, so he shot 40% from three in that game. I don't know that he's enough of a difference maker to make them good enough to compete for an at-large bid you and i are on the same page here like we can keep trying to or people can keep trying to you know come up with scenarios where if they do this 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 and this and this then maybe just maybe but they're not going to do this 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 and this you could play that game forever that's like me sitting around talking about you know if my if my seven-year-old picks up all his toys every single day the house will be cleaned every single day well that ain't happening right it's just like well you could keep imagining these great things like kids who pick up toys in kentucky playing well but neither one of those things are, are are a reality right now my kids don't pick up toys and kentucky can't play well before we move on just a quick mention uh kansas lost i mean great win for oklahoma state they're nine and three they're three and three and kate cunningham made a wonderful play uh, a block and then as the ball was falling out of bounds he's in the air he catches it he turns into a transit he makes a pass they turn into a transition play it actually won the game for oklahoma state it was huge um I'm not going to say Kansas is out of the race for the Big 12 with Baylor and Texas yet, but that's the kind of result that I think at the end of the season is going to be, you know, it's going to be a one or two game difference and this is going to matter. Uh, Kansas trailed for most and then it made a huge push late, kind of that push that normally 
really nine out of ten times a Kansas team wins that game doing what it did. It didn't. That'll happen when you've got a potential number one pick on the other side of the floor. And then I just have to mention that Bryce Williams uh, getting uh, a steal. on Kansas tried to tie the game with ideally with a three-pointer with like three, four seconds to go. And then Bryce Williams steals the inbound pass, some sort of communication. And, and my dude... Gets it, and I think he carried. I think he carried about uh, a dribble before he he took off, and then he bounces the ball off the floor, reverse dunk, slams it home, just as time expires to make it a 75-70 finish. I'm all for this. It's the greatest dunk to end a game since Dennis Smith Jr. went total poster on Duke, and in a season I think NC State like won like nine games, but like they won that one, and uh, <laughs> and that was awesome. Kansas fans had issues with me liking the fact that it ended like this. No, every single game that an underdog can possibly win on a walk-off dunk needs to happen. We almost never see this. And the fact that this dude went playground, bounced it to himself, and reverse throw down was, in my opinion, almost as good as the George Pappas moment inside Fog Allen Fieldhouse last season. Close, but not quite. Here's the like I didn't I understand Kansas fans like the George Pappas stuff I understand being mad about that even though I loved it I yeah. thought I, I I went back and watched it somebody tweeted something I went back and watched it uh, <laughs> I watched it last ago. night I someone put it in my mentions I watched it last night and when you watch it you would think this dude just pulled off a steal to beat Kansas and they're down forty it's amazing. <laughs> it, it is the. It made me laugh out loud rewatching it because after he dunks, like he's getting booed like crazy. Back when we used to have sixteen thousand three hundred inside down fed house, and you can see him yelling to basically nobody to the crowd. He's like a wrestler. He's like, I don't give a f. I don't give a f. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, it's so, so good. good. So, good. so I understand being mad about this one. That one. This one last night. It was a one possession game. Yep. I, I'm a big fan of dribbling the clock out when you're up seven with seventeen seconds to go. You know, like just dribble the clock out. That 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 is the way that should be handled. But in a one possession game, you you can't dribble the clock out. What if somebody fouls you with two seconds left, one second left, doesn't matter, and then you miss two free throws and they get a, a heave at the buzzer. And now you're in overtime. Like one possession game, you're allowed to score. And if you want to score in a flashy way, I'm completely fine with it. And in fact, I'm, I encourage it. It was awesome. And like you, it's wild. These like little bitty memories that you have from otherwise from moments that otherwise don't matter. First thing I thought of was Dennis Smith. I was like, that is, it is yep. the first thing I thought of. And then I can even remember the post game. Like you got Mark Godfrey, like, like hugging Dennis Smith. Like he's in love with Dennis Smith. And then of course, like the team stunk. Uh, and now they're dealing with NCAA issues connected yep. to the whole, whole deal. That's correct. Amazing. Just an amazing uh, set of circumstances there. Good on Oklahoma State. We've mentioned this on the pod, but just to remind people, if you're checking in after college football season and getting adjusted, um, and then we can move on. Oklahoma State was you know, given a postseason ban last summer and obviously made headlines because it was the first school connected to the FBI probe to receive official NCAA sanctions. Oklahoma State is appealing that and the appeal is ongoing. And if the appeal is not resolved by selection Sunday, if OSU is good enough, it can be and will be selected as a team that gets into the tournament. And then that ban, if it's upheld, won't go into effect until 2022. Uh, it's safe to say that every single Oklahoma state fan is going to take that bargain. They want to get into the tournament with Cade Cunningham when they think they've got a shot to make an actual run here. We'll wait and see if that is actually the case, but a win like this goes a long way toward building a resume, putting them into the field. And one last thing um, in defense of Oklahoma State finishing that game the way it finished, you got to understand, like, literally a second earlier, they're in a high-intense 
you know, like the game on the line situation. And then it's like turnover, balls getting pushed up court. Like you're still going. When you see teams dribble out the clock, it is usually like under cal- a calm set of circumstances. And this was not that. So I got no problem with what happened. It was a, an awesome college basketball moment from Tuesday night. Since we last recorded, the Division One Council has officially punted on name, image, and likeness rights and a change to the transfer rules. Norlander, you reported on this. Um, tell folks why this is important, what it means. Okay, I'll try and be fairly quick on this. So those who have listened to the podcast, kept up with college basketball news, are aware that you know 2021 was supposed to be the year, and it's still supposed to be, uh, when the NCAA finally pushed through name, image, and likeness legislation that at least opened the door for college athletes uh, of every walk of life to be able to make money while they're in college off of their name, image, and likeness. Now, plenty of people, plenty of critics, including two on this very podcast, weren't satisfied with the measures approved by the NCAA's board of directors, directors in the fall, but nonetheless, it was an opening there. Now, as all of this has been happening, you have states, uh, particularly California and Florida, which I think have two of the most aggressive pieces of state legislation that are set to kick in soon. And Florida, in fact, I think Florida's goes into effect in July of this year. And so it creates an unstable situation in which the NCAA claims that, okay, if you're going to have states with all these different laws, we can't have you know, legitimate competition because one state's institutions might allow for so many more benefits and we just can't have that. And then our only course of, re- uh, of recourse is to say, well, then you're just not eligible for championships, which is obviously never going to happen. The NCAA is not going to prohibit Miami, Florida State, and Florida from making the NCAA tournament. So it has to resolve these things. How does it resolve these things? It goes to the federal government and, and basically asks for... Uh, an antitrust exemption, and I'm not going to get into antitrust stuff. It's just, just, just know that the NCAA thinks that Congress can solve its issues by creating a set of rules that sides on behalf of the NCAA instead of siding on behalf of college athletes. This is a gambit that I've kind of thought was destined to not work in the NCAA's favor. And in fact, because, weirdly enough, because... The Georgia Senate runoffs both went to the Democratic candidates. Now we have a 50-50 split in the Senate. And because there's a 50-50 split, the tie is always set by the vice president, who is Kamala Harris, who is a Democrat. So Democrats are more likely to provide legislation, including one bill currently trying to get pushed through by Cory Booker out of New Jersey, that would basically allow a lot of money to come college athletes way, both in NIL and actually receiving revenues. This is a major, major thing for the NCAA. So with that as backdrop one, and then the other thing, there's a huge high profile NCAA case, um, Alston versus the NCAA that gets to the heart of name, image, and likeness and what the NCAA should be allowed to do, what guardrails it should be allowed to be put up. The Supreme court is going to hear that case later this year. Dennis Dodd, our colleague reports that he thinks by June at the latest, it's going to get heard. And the NCAA wants to see what happens in that case before it takes any more moves. So the cynics rightfully came out, um, this week when the NCAA opted not to push forth any kind of NIL stuff, the transfer stuff, I, uh, the Justice Department wrote a letter to Mark Emmert saying, listen, you know, we want to put you in your place here. What you think you're doing with NIL is not exactly um, uh, prim and proper. And then they included the transfer legislation in that. So I think that scared the NCAA, even though I don't think the two things should be connected. But maybe they think like, okay, if one player is going to 
transfer from a mid-major to a power conference school, and that's going to create a pattern where all these players are going to do it because they think they're going to make more money, and then it's going to completely deplete the mid-majors, whatever. I think that's why the transfer thing is linked GP, even though I don't think that's totally valid. But that is why we are not talking right now about the expected rubber stamp vote happening with the board of directors tomorrow on Thursday about putting in NIL legislation and enacting it in the coming months. They're still going to do it. They just want to wait and see. And I think this is actually the right way to do it. But in typical NCAA fashion, I just think they botched it a little bit. They want to see just how much of a disadvantage the NCAA is with any federal bills that could become federal laws that are happening in the coming months and what the Supreme Court says, and if it sides on the NCAA when it comes to amateurism and its its model and whether it has the right to restrict certain things from college athletes. So I said I'd try to be quick. I wasn't. I lied. But it's a, it's a dense, thorny issue that I think the NCAA, at the end of the day, whenever this is done, and we are moving toward name, image, and likeness legislation, it's going to look back on this week and the past couple of months and, and basically say we were in a... We were in a spot where we thought we were going to have firmer legislation than we actually have. And if you're the kind of person that has been long waiting for college athletes to have the right to get paid while they're in college, who knows what the Supreme Court's going to do, I guess. But I would expect that legislation from the Senate and from Congress is going to enable college athletes to eventually later this year have legislation put through for them to make money. I understand why they punted on name, image, and likeness. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. You know What they're hoping is that there is a federal law that supersedes all of these state laws, and then they will adapt to the federal law because they'll have no choice. Yes, They don't want to go an inch further than they have to. I don't care what they say. They, don't, they, they want to be within the law, but not. they don't want to go an inch further than they're forced to go. That's why I roll my eyes, and everybody else should too, when Mark Emmert or anybody else connected to this association stands up and talks about, we are for student-athletes, and the student-athletes are the priority. No, they're not. You're only going here now because you are legally being forced to do it. You have, you have no options anymore. I promise you, if Florida wasn't adopting a law and California wasn't adopting a law, this would not even be something they were uh, – be considering they talk about it every once in a while when they were asked but they wouldn't actually be doing anything the only reason they are quote prepared to do something is because they have no choice but they're not going to do anything until they have no choice i mean that seems pretty clear they're going to wait for this to see what happens at the federal level they are going to lobby and spend millions of dollars millions of dollars lobbying to try to get a federal law that supersedes state laws that is um in in their best interest to whatever degree, and then they will uh, they will adopt their rules to be you know with you know within the context of that. So I understand why they punted on name, image, and likeness. I don't agree with it, but I understand. The transfer rule is ridiculous. There is no actual reason that you can't go ahead and pass the transfer rule. Like I had somebody say, well, you know, because Congress is doing A, B, and C, then you know that that's the reason that. Uh, you know, the, the, the incident Blake can't change the transfer rule right now. And I said, well, with all due respect, that's just not true. They, there is nothing that, that connected to Congress or state law or federal law that prevents the NCAA from deciding to treat basketball players, football players, men's hockey players, and baseball players like soccer players and golfers and track and field athletes. Literally nothing. They could do it if they wanted to. 
They just granted a waiver to every um, Division One transfer uh, last month. Yeah, just they could do that whenever they want to. They could change this transfer rule. There's nothing connected to any law or Congress that says you can't treat football players like you treat softball players. You can't treat basketball players like you treat soft soccer players. They could change that in, in, with a snap of the finger if they wanted to, and they don't do it. And that's why you know Mark Emmert spoke yesterday in the State of the Association, and he, he said that that he is, the NCAA is, determined to make changes to name, image, and likeness and transfer rules, but but they need clarification on the law. I think that is possibly true on name, image, and likeness. You do not need clarification on law to change the transfer rule. That's a lie. And I know we can't say it. I tweeted this yesterday, but I would have more respect for him if he'd just tell the truth because this is the truth. Student athletes are not the priority with the NCAA. They're not. If they were, if they were, there wouldn't be so many uh, unfair restrictions on student athletes. So stop saying that and stop hiding behind the law because the law has literally nothing to do with you changing that transfer rule. That is a lie. It's uh, it's idiocy. Now, they're going to change it. If you're wondering, okay, they didn't do it this week. When are they going to do it? They're going to wait and see on the Supreme Court. And I understand that from the NIL situation because they what they don't want to do is say, okay, here's our new NIL legislation. It was approved the second week of January of 2021, but now we're going to look up at the end of March or the middle of May, and everything we voted through is now moot because federal law or, and or the Supreme Court have superseded it in, in ways A, B, and C, and now we got to go back to the drawing board. I get all that, and that's what you need to do here. But again, the NCAA had years and decades to get ahead of this, and it did not, and that's why it's in this situation. It only has itself as an organization to blame. You're absolutely right about the transfers. If you are listening to this podcast and, you know, if you're a Kentucky fan and you're like, well, it's Oscar Sheboy going to be available next season because he committed to UK on Sunday. Yes, he's going to be available. I think no matter what, the NCAA understands that because there are just players that have and will transfer and have done so with the understanding that if you're a first-time transfer, you're going to have immediate eligibility no matter what sport you play. That is going to be the case. If that does not get resolved, you know, till August, it's still going to be the case. I, I talked to a couple of sources who gave me zero reason to believe that that is not going to eventually be what happens. It's just a matter of when they get together, when they vote, and all that takes is obviously the stuff we've been talking about here, in addition to the Division One Council and then the Board of Directors having a meeting, doing it virtually, setting it up, putting it forth, saying, okay, now we're good with it, we understand it, let's move it forward. Could that could happen as early as the first week of March? Sure. Might it not happen until the summer? Yeah, I do honestly think that these are going to get done later this year. Just the big question is, how far is our government going to uh, empower college athletes, which you and I both agree that it should be liberal in that interpretation? How far is that going to happen? And then if and when that does, the response from the NCAA and leagues will be it will be very interesting because it is going to change the dynamic of college sports forever, as it should. This is going to eventually be a very huge watershed type of year for the NCAA. All right. You ready to get out of here and watch uh, impeachment proceedings? <sighs> yeah. I mean, I got all sorts of stuff I'm doing today. I mean, it's yeah, I, I'll have it on in the background here, I guess, but I got I to gotta watch my kids. Before we get out, and we're, we are going to get out, I wanted to bring this up like three podcasts ago. It's just like a random... Uh, life observation because you, you've brought it up before I think on the podcast but like before and after I'm going to identify with the parents out there real quick as we get out of here so 
my wife uh, on Facebook, like Facebook Marketplace, people sell stuff all the time, you know, and it's contactless. Come drop it off. You can Venmo me, et cetera, et cetera. So like a month ago, she went and got like uh, all these, these Lego, not Legos, Lego, the plural of Lego is Lego. She got all these Lego in these, in these cans and it was, it was free. Someone was giving them away. And so th- that's been wonderful. And my boys have been loving that. And I grew up with Lego as my brothers did GP. So my, 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 my older son goes, dad, I want to get like a Spider-Man Lego. Cause I got him like a small Spider-Man thing at Target like a year and a half ago or whatever. I was like, right, let's do it. Let's do it. Parish. I went online to like Amazon Target to look. Ah, I got to I got to ask for an increase in my contract if I want to afford these things. Are you are you aware of how ridiculously priced these Legos are? If I want to get like one police car with like a little jail, it's like $60. This oh, yeah. was not the case when we were children. It's insane. Here's let me as as a more experienced veteran parent, let me tell you what you do. First off, unless your kids are way better than mine, and I think they probably are, um, you're losing those Spider-Man. I agree. Like, oh, they're, yeah. You're not, that's not going to be a thing. <laughs> I know. They're not going to build it and keep it together and treat it as though it's the special thing that it is. I agree right. with you. Right, that's not happening. So you're spending $60 to get a handful of Lego to build something that, A, probably won't get built correctly, and B, even if it does, will be destroyed at some point. What you do is go on Amazon, and you can buy 50,000 Lego pieces for like $9.99. I'm exaggerating, but like that, yeah. that's what we did. You, you buy – our kids have a gigantic crate. I mean, they're so – they can build – they could, they could stack Lego to the ceiling, and it's just all mix match pieces. You start buying the individual boxes, like, oh, let's build the White House. Oh, let's build the Batman's cave. Yeah, that's a waste. That's a total waste of money because that stuff is never going to work out the way you want it to. One spaceship is ninety nine ninety nine. What yeah, are no. we doing? Yeah, you don't do that. I cannot like, believe how expensive. I just, I was, blo- I was looking at it over the weekend. And because um, you're always talking about like how Lego are all over your floor. And it's true. Like you're buying something to basically piss you off three times a week because I don't know if the human uh, mind can tap into anger as quickly and as furiously as the moment that you step on a Lego and you don't know it's there and then you feel the pain. This is what this is basically what you sign up for as a parent. So anyway, I just do we have we literally had contractors at our house this morning. We we have the, the, the attic space over our garage is a is a big space and we are turning it into nothing but a toy room so that i can move everything and keep in mind my kids have a bedroom and a toy room but they don't keep their toys in their toy room they bring them downstairs into the living room and just leave them there so unless i want to haul them upstairs every day i i it's because they have our our downstairs is sort of a big open space so they can build things and forts and all sorts of stuff so they like playing downstairs but i'm like whatever it costs we're building this gigantic room into a we're we're getting it built out and turning it into a toy room and the the and we will make it whatever they want in there they can have like whatever let's make it the best play space you've ever seen in your life but no more toys come downstairs. Zero. If they, any toy left downstairs gets thrown away. That's where we're at. Here's my new one. My kids love to pull out all the blankets and like build tents and forts and hiding spaces and stuff. So every day when I come home, there's, I'm not exaggerating, 15 blankets 
just everywhere. And so the, the process is I have to fold them all back up and put them all back up. This goes on every day. And so this morning, I mean, it's, it's 645 this morning. And me, me and my wife, I'm like, Kelly, you go in that closet and you pick out your five favorite blankets and we will keep them. And I'm getting rid of every other blanket. We're not, we don't need all these blankets. We never, we, we, they're just, we just have 20 blankets for no reason. <laughs> we don't need 20 blankets. We're not that cold. I, I, and so the only, the only thing that happens with these 20 blankets is they get pulled out and thrown on the floor. So like, let's just get rid of them. Like, follow me here. They can't throw things that aren't here in the floor. So, Let's like let's uh, let's keep five blankets just in case. Like one day you're on the couch and you're cold, we'll have that one. And m- maybe somebody's sitting in a chair and they'll need one. And they got that. We really don't even need five. But like I'll let you pick out whichever five you want, and the rest are going to Goodwill. And so right now I have a trunk full of blankets. I'm taking them to Goodwill. And the only reason I'm getting rid of them is because I'm tired of picking them up, picking them up. This is my life every day, every day. So good. absolutely insane. So good. You're going to do this, and then you think you're going to be home free, and the third day after that toy room is done, you're going to be walking through your living room, and you're going to step on a blue four-piece Lego, and you're going to lose it. Oh, let me tell you what the real problem is. My problem is not Lego as much as it's Nerf darts. Oh, boy. My kids love Nerf guns. And by the way, do your kids have Nerf guns? No shot. Don't buy them. They're awful. Let me tell you what they Here is the only thing Nerf guns accomplish. This is the byproduct of, of being an owner of Nerf guns. The kids fight over them. That's mine. That's not yours. That's mine. That's not yours. That, that. They fight over them. B, they shoot each other right in the head. And it doesn't hurt, but it aggravates. And it does hurt. Like if you get shot in the eyeball. It, like, so it, it leads to crying and fights. That's it. And then you have darts all over your house. I, I wanted to, I, I almost lost my mind. For Christmas, we're opening up gifts from Santa. And there was a package of 250 darts. <laughs> Why do we need 250 Nerf darts? Because you me tell you what happens to those 250 Nerf darts? They are just laying around the house. There is not a room in my house that I couldn't, if I decided, I'm, I'm going to, I know there's a Nerf dart in here somewhere. I'm going to go find it. Every room's got one somewhere, under a bed, on top of a cabinet, Nerf darts everywhere. Don't ever, don't ever introduce that to your children. Plus, they learn how to play with guns, so, like, that's dangerous. <laughs> but but so just, nothing good comes from Nerf darts. I'm so anti-Nerf dart. They're not, it's just frustrating. Shout him. It's just frustrating. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle legend shouts to lauren now thank you guys once again to listening to the eye on college basketball podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime i think everybody i know has COVID at this moment like i i I found out three people close to me tested positive for COVID in the past 24 hours like just absolutely insane so be careful out there please this is the this is the dumbest one. It's the dumbest one I ever, I ever seen. I never thought I'd see one like this. This is idiotic what we're going through right now. Get, get, please get the vaccines to everybody who needs them as quickly as possible. This has gotten completely out of hand. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And 
Leave more good reviews. We're going to get to some more on Sunday night. They are terrific. We appreciate you guys. If you've got time, five stars, a nice review. And by the way, I was told by one of our uh, producers that um, if you've left a, a, a review before, that doesn't mean you can't you leave another one. You can leave multiple reviews. This is what I learned over the, the, the earlier in the week. So if you want to, if you left one six years ago and you want to leave a new one, um, Apple says that's cool. And I encourage it. So please go do that. And either way, we're going to talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.